Hey all, have you ever gone out fine dining or seen it on TV or maybe social media where restaurants boast the Michelin star title? Let me ask you this, how did a tire company star start determining what's palatable from fine dining from garbage? Come find out all that and more on Read Reads. Hey all, welcome to Read Reads, and you know, for me, the Michelin star title has always been a question on my mind, and pardon me if I sound nasally or stuffy, but you know, I'm going through a cold. Now, with it being on my mind, especially at the prices of some of these restaurant costs, I decided to find out, well, what's the history of the Michelin star? And if you're here, maybe you're here to find out the same thing too, you know, besides hearing my voice. So I went ahead and did some reading and it turns out that according to popularmechanics.com, the Michelin star was invented by André and Edward Michelin. And these guys were the founders of the Michelin tire brand. They created this um, Michelin guide back in the 1900s and originally, just so you know, the it was not about fine dining, but it was for automobiles and tires or at least it was meant to raise interest in automobiles and tires because at the time there was less than 3,000 cars on the road in France. Now the original copy of this Michelin guide did not have an actual rating system because the fact still exists that it was a free guide that showed how to replace and repair tires believe it or not. And it also listed restaurants, hotels, mechanics, and other amenities on the open road. Because this was all meant to entice people into driving more and getting their tires and everything else. It was all an effort to increase automobile sales at the time. The rating system started in about 1920 after World War II where they wanted to reinvent the guide so they ditched the ads in favor of more in-depth content and began charging for their almanac now in 1926 the first michelin star rating was given and at the time there was only a one-star system which meant that your restaurant was listed as a fine dining establishment Hence, you know, the history why we associate Michelin stars with fine dining establishment. But this was only in France. Um, you know, believable. Now, 1931, the system got upgraded all the way to three stars. And the guide halted production again due to World War II. Because the maps were useful to the Allied forces. Now, it didn't reach the U.S. until the year 2000s, but at the time, it was only listing restaurants in New York. As of this recording, the system is used in over 37 companies in, or 37 countries, I should say, pardon me, in Europe, North America, South America, Asia, with over 40,000 restaurants and 24 territories. I guess you're wondering, well, how is all of this determined? Well, according to guide.michelin.com, well, restaurants are evaluated annually 
to see if they deserve a star, if they deserve new stars, or they even deserve to keep their old ones. The authenticity, well, let me not say authenticity, but the formality of the restaurants apparently doesn't even matter. So it could be formal dining or it could be informal dining. Because I remember watching a cooking show once or a cooking competition once, and there was a chef on there who, and I, I'm almost sure he was from Japan, he didn't own a formal dining restaurant. It was just a, what we call a hole in the wall shop. Um, and he was a Michelin star o uh, owner. So as I say that it doesn't have to be a formal or informal restaurant to qualify. The judges do come anonymously and you can't really tell because sometimes they dine alone or they dine together. And they do try to have a little bit of everything off the menu whether during season just so that they get a fair evaluation of anything and everything. And even though sometimes they dine separately, believe it or not, the decision is made all together. I also learned a little bit about the application process where if you're already listed in the Michelin guide, right? You don't need to apply for a Michelin star because they are going to come and they're going to evaluate to see if you deserve a star or, as I said, keep your current one or upgrade and get maybe one or two more. Well, if your restaurant isn't listed and it's recommended by someone, they can automatically come to your restaurant and evaluate to see if you're worth the star. Or you could apply yourself if you have a restaurant that you think is worth the Michelin star. I mean, they love food, so it wouldn't be a bad idea to try it. According to the MichelinGuide.com, believe it or not, customer service does not matter, only the quality of the food. And I guess at this point we have to ask, well, what's the difference between the one star, two star, and three star? Well, one star is awarded to restaurants using the top quality of ingredients. Uh, this is where the dishes have distinct tastes and flavors and are prepared to a consistently high standard. Now, two Michelin stars are normally awarded when the personality and talent of the chef are evident in their expertly crafted dishes. Their food is refined and inspired. And look, this is not coming from me. This is coming directly from the Michelin Guide. And three Michelin stars is the highest award given for superlative cooking of chefs at the peak of their profession. Um, it also says their cooking is elevated to an art form and some of their dishes are destined to become classics. Can you imagine that? So if there's any of you guys out there going to a Michelin star restaurant anytime soon, feel free to invite me. And finally, in case you were wondering who currently has the most Michelin stars by country, well, according to Statista.com, as of July 2023, France boasts a whopping 625 stars, Japan 414, Italy 380, Germany 328, Spain 248, and the United States 223 with the united kingdom following with 187 to see the full chart just go to statista.com 
And now it's time for Word of the Day. Today's Word of the Day is ubiquitous. And according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it means existing or being everywhere at the same time, constantly encountered, widespread. It's time for everyone's favorite session, r slash no stupid questions. Bay Queen asks, why do people not like to say how much money they make? Well, it all depends on the friend group you're in and the situation, but overall, um, at least to me, it's kind of tacky to talk about how much money you actually do make, unless it's one of those conversations where you're trying to improve or build your network or encourage somebody else to build their network. Um, you wouldn't just pop up and uh, talk about, oh, yeah, I make X amount of figures per year. It comes off a little bit. Uh, braggadocious and it might send the wrong message to the audience that you're currently speaking to just know your audience Eisen Bingus asks why do countries still have water issues if you can just purify ocean water and that's a very good question but it is a multi-tiered question that I don't have the time to dig all the tiers today but one access to resources right not every country some countries with um, water issues are not bordered by the sea. They're landlocked with other countries and bordered by other countries. So getting the water there could just be uh, could be an issue all by itself. Two, desalination takes time and it can be expensive. The machinery can be expensive. Not everybody's willing to pay to have that machinery shipped to that country and also provide maintenance because who's going to run it? And also, who's going to ship the water to that country to begin with? Um, so it all depends um, on, well, where you are, the resources you have, the infrastructure you have, and I guess government ties and humanitarian efforts. Katin Kishir asks, why do people feel afraid to succeed? And to be honest, I don't think it's so much about the fear of succeeding. I think a lot of us are afraid of the road to success that is paved with failure or should I say potential failure. So a lot of times we know what we want. We want to go for it, but whether or not the answer is going to be a yes or no and all the other obstacles that are going to stand in our way, it's that fear that drives us from succeeding. So it's not the success itself. It's the potential failure associated with it. Totally not Jeff asks, where are you supposed to look when you're on a phone call with earbuds or headphones? And Jeff, it's funny that you asked this question because I have what you call Alexa smart glasses. And that's what I use mostly when I'm out in public um, or at a session anywhere where I don't want to have headphones and I just pop my glasses on and it does the audio, Bluetooth and everything else, right? A lot of times I've taken calls in public and I just start talking and because you have to do a quick swipe to the side um, in order to pick up these calls and people look at me as if I'm crazy. But guess what? I know I'm on a phone call and I know that I'm not crazy. So just enjoy your phone call. Look wherever you need to look. Use your hands for whatever you need to use them for. And then afterwards, you could just slightly apologize and say, oh, hey, I was on a call. You know, to follow up on that earlier question, a lot of times we have goals 
and we are so scared of what society might think that we don't end up going for them we're so scared of failure that we refuse to try even and just so you know if you can't fly then run if you can't run then walk if you can't walk then crawl but whatever you do you have to keep moving forward and that quote was from dr martin luther king jr this has been another episode of read reads thank you guys for logging in join me next time to find out what i've been reading <laughs>